HawkeyeInsider.com, Swarmcast. David Eichel here along with Sean Bach following an Iowa 0-2 start for the first time since 2000. Can they get it back on track? Well, we're not going to waste any time. Uh, let's dive into it. But, Sean, how does it feel to, uh, to be back in the Midwest? Yeah, it was, it was nice. I mean, I went to Clemson for the weekend to visit a couple of my buddies and a few of my friends from back home. Um, our bet went to so it was a lot of fun it was a pretty cool experience I mean Clemson was awesome but at the end of the day I think I think I'd rather stay in the Midwest I know that's probably an unpopular opinion for most people but <laughs> the Midwest feels like home man like it's just weird like you go yeah. to these places but then you're like ah, uh, you know what like they're pretty cool like I enjoy it like but I don't think I could live at a place like that I don't know if it's because I prefer like chill weather like colder weather or what it is but I mean it was it was a really cool experience definitely I mean something I wish the stadium would have been full but you know at the end of the day it was it was a lot of fun and I do it again but hey I'm happy I'm happy to be back because I think when I came back last Sunday I was really out of the loop of stuff and I was kind of like whoa like I watched like the third quarter of the Northwestern game live yeah because you were were texting me a little bit about it yeah yeah, so I watched like the third quarter of it, but obviously didn't really do any post game content and didn't watch the full game until like Monday, um, just because I had other stuff going on. So it was weird being out of the loop, but I'm I'm happy this week to kind of be back in the full swing of things. I think I think this week this weekend will be will be pretty good. Was it was it kind of weird for you to see fans in the stands? Yeah, it was a little weird. I mean, at honestly, like it was kind of nice though because we had a group of maybe like ten or fifteen, like twenty people. Um, so we were kind of in our own pod or section, and everything else was kind of spread out. So that was nice because you you had like room, you had like you could talk to people, like you could really watch the game and observe. Like you weren't on top of each other, so that was nice. But yeah, I mean, it definitely was a little weird with fans. I mean, they didn't really um enforce the mask policy at all much during the game like they say you have to but you really didn't and it was nice too with the concession stand and like with the bathrooms and stuff there wasn't really any lines like it was easy to get in and out so kind of sounds like a different world honestly yeah no it (laughs) it was it was pretty convenient but it was definitely kind of it was definitely weird yeah, yeah. So I know you said you got back in the the swing of things. So before we really dive in this Michigan State matchup, I, I guess I haven't even really gotten the chance to talk to you much about it. Uh, what kind of stood out to you about the Northwestern game? Yeah, I mean, not not too much, honestly. Um, there were struggles all across the board. Obviously, Spencer Peters really seemed to be clicking in the first half, and you thought, well, maybe he could really get himself his footing under himself and start to get things going more consistently. And it wasn't like that. I mean, he started to struggle. I think later on in the second half, there were a couple of drives and sequences where you're kind of like, all right, like this is where I could see the struggles are starting to really come in. He got happy feet. He got overthrows. He missed a couple of tough throws. Um, Just a lot that were kind of – that you're kind of like, ah, like if they would have had this play, like this could have been a difference in the game or this could have had this play, it would have been momentum or – if they would have made this play, then they really would have been able to step on their throats and make things tougher for Northwestern to come back. But like like it happened in the Purdue game, like the Iowa offense was just not making plays that they need to make to really step on Northwestern's throats and put the game away. They kept – they gave Northwestern the belief that, like, hey, like we can come back and win this game. Like 
we're we're still in this game. Like that's what I think one thing that stood out to me that you can kind of compare to last week is Iowa just couldn't close the door and couldn't really get that substantial lead. And if you keep teams if you keep teams in the game for that long, if you keep the opponents in the game, they're gonna start believing more and more. And that's what that's what happened last week against Northwestern from an offensive standpoint. I thought some of the play selections and Kirk Ferentz mentioned it too at the play selections and how often run, how often they ran compared to or how little they ran compared to how often they passed the ball. I thought that was something that they need to brush up on and something that Kirk Ferentz admitted that they need to fix. I thought some of the offensive line play was inconsistent, especially at tackle. I mean, Coy Cronk was out for – or they benched him for part of the game, so I thought that was something that could have been fixed. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you got to give credit to Northwestern because I felt like their defensive coordinator really came out with a good game plan. And linebackers, man, those linebackers are quick and physical – and the safeties as well did a good job on them. And, um, yeah, I mean, the defensive line did a good job, too, of pressuring Peters and really making them uncomfortable in the pocket. And I thought that was a big, big, uh, big storyline in that game, too, is just how uncomfortable they made them and really forced Peters to make some rash decisions that, you know, I think maybe if he had a couple more ticks in the pocket, then he could have made better throws or made better decisions. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you can't dwell on it. I mean, obviously the run game could have been better. Pass game could have been used less. Run game could have been used more. Um, but, you know, I thought the defense was solid. I thought there were some lapses here and there. I thought Seth Benson looked pretty good. Davion Nixon has been incredible this year. That's going to be a really fun matchup this weekend. I mean, because Michigan State's offensive line is not the best, but their interior play could use a yep. little work, but the center is solid. So, mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot. I think good. I think that's what people are kind of missing. I think there was some stuff good, especially defensively, um, and offensively. I think there's some things that can be fixable that are definitely fixable that could really be a big difference in what, how this game pans out this weekend. So, so let me ask you this, Sean. This is a couple. I think I mentioned this during my solo post game podcast, follow, uh, you know, following the loss, but. It seemed to me, Petrus at times, he, you know, he got sacked a couple of times. He got pressured a couple of times in the pocket. And there were a couple of times, Sean, where I saw he just got happy feet. And the second he had happy feet, you knew something bad was about to happen. And there were a couple of plays where I felt like he just completely abandoned the pocket and started scrambling. And that actually benefited the defense because the defense wasn't really collapsing in the pocket. But when Petrus scrambled outside, they broke off their block and just chased him down the sideline, and he'd either get, have to force throw it, throw it out of bounds, or he'd take another sack. So I think because they kind of rallied him early that, uh, again, it made him just abandon the pocket a lot sooner than, than he should have. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I think Peter struggled with, I don't know if you agree with me on this, Dave, but when I was watching him, I feel like all his throws are one speed, like just fastball. Like, yep. just hard. Like, I know some of Iowa r- routes, like slants, curls, like screens, like they have a couple of those, like ones across the middle where you got to throw it pretty hard. But I feel like if he took a little bit of air off the ball, I feel like he could also be more effective on some of those touch passes. I don't know if we really – I can't really think at the top of my head right now. Have you seen many of those this this year? Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. So what I would say that is, uh, you know, I've talked about with a couple people. I don't know if I've talked about with you. When it comes to stuff like that, you you can afford to throw those fastballs. It better be on target every single time, and you better hit the spot. 
Like you can't lead a guy. Like if you were going to try to throw a touch pass and lead a guy and he catches it, you can't throw a fastball with a little bit of lead because it's going to bounce off his hands and into the hands of the defense. And that's something that happened uh, right. when, you know, Petrus tried to throw it to Sam Laporta. So you either have to have the fastball go directly to the spot and with no little, no room for error, or you got to throw a little bit more touch on. And right now, like you said, I think Petrus is all, uh, all fastball all the way. Yeah, no, that's what, that's a good point because that play against Laporta or that play of Laporta, I mean, you would like to see Laporta go with two hands on that, but then again, it was a little bit out of reach, but still, I mean, that's a play where I think you could afford to have a little less, little less speed and velocity on the ball. Um, but I'm not a QB expert. I'm not a QB whisperer, so I shouldn't really be, be judging those things. But I think when you just watch the game, I mean, that's something that definitely – definitely stood out from that perspective. Yeah. And I think right now, like you said, I think Petrus just, just needs to get that base level of confidence. And I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I know people are quick to want to bench Petrus and I think some of the criticism is warranted, but Brian Ferentz and the offensive staff have to put him in a position to succeed. If you're expecting your, your first year starter, that had no non-conference games to get his feet under his belt or to get warmed up to go out there and throw the ball 50 times and lead your team to a win especially with where Iowa is and what, you know, what Iowa is and how they identify themselves as a football team. If Iowa throws the ball 40 or 50 times, they're not going to win main ball games, if ever. I mean, they, they just don't. And I think my biggest thing right now, Sean, again, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but it seems to me right now with all of the talent and experience that Iowa's offense has, I really think there's an identity crisis right now. Like I cannot sit here and pinpoint – three things that the Iowa's offense is trying to do. Uh, and that's something that, again, I wouldn't have never really envisioned saying about a, a Kirk Ferentz Iowa football team. But right now I think that they just don't know who they are. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I also feel like the lack of spring practice and the lack of kind of just all, maybe all the uncertainty that's gone on hasn't really helped. I mean, you have a new quarterback that really hasn't – I mean, he's been behind Stanley for the past two and a half years. But, I mean, all the stuff that's gone on in the past couple months with all the uncertainty regarding COVID with, like, hey, like, at any moment our season could be over. Hey, like, any moment, like, a certain guy could be out. I think that aspect certainly doesn't help. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't want to pin it all on that because you see some of these teams that – really have avoided that. I mean, look at Iowa State, for example. I mean, they lost to Louisiana Lafayette the first season or the first game of the season. And then for a couple weeks, they were looking like one of the better teams in college football. Obviously, if I'm not mistaken, they lost um, this past weekend or the weekend before. Weekend before, Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah, it's Oklahoma State. I mean, granted, Oklahoma State's a really good team. But I mean, they stuck. They stuck in that game for most of the for most of it. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, so you know, I think really, I think some of the COVID stuff has to do with it, honestly, and just all like the missing practice and all the uncertainty, like I mentioned. But yeah, I I mean, I agree with you that there's still things that you definitely could have fixed. But you know, I think I think I don't want to put it like all on COVID, but I feel like a good portion of it has to do with just kind of the the inconsistency and just like how fluid every situation is with stuff going on. And there's just a lot that's happening. That's really tough for them to really focus in on the season. I mean, I know, I know every team has to deal with it, but I think I truly think that's part of it. 
No, and I understand that too. But I'll say the difference between Iowa and Iowa State. I mean, there are a lot of them, but if we're talking about strictly that perspective, at least they have Brock Purdy, who's been starting right. for a long time. And that quarterback right. stability goes a long way. Uh, you brought Davion Nixon. I think Davion Nixon right now, if he keeps this up, Sean, I don't think he comes back for another year. I think he's going to dip off uh, for the NFL because right now he's looking like a first-team all-Big Ten caliber player. I mean, he has been an absolute force on the defensive line. And I think Iowa's defensive line showed me a little something. I think Iowa's defense showed me a little something against Northwestern, especially in that second half. Keep in mind, they gave up the two long touchdown drives in the, in the second quarter. But they came back in that second half, Sean. They, were, they only allowed .8 yards per carry. They only allowed 2.4 yards per carry for the ball game, which is incredible to think about. Uh, but that's what happens when, you know, a team runs the ball 60 times on you. Uh, that, that game was just such a weird game in the way that whole thing worked out. But we're going to take a pause for a quick second for our advertisements, and we're going to hop right back into more of our Michigan State preview. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, Sean, let's really dive into this Michigan State matchup. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I really want to dig deeper. Uh, I think the number one story right now, as far as that goes, is Rocky Lombardi, Des Moines Valley kid uh chose michigan state over iowa he's coming back for a homecoming and he said earlier this week that this is a game he's had circled on his calendar since he committed to michigan state his family does not get to see him play that often so there's gonna be an extra motivation for him uh to really put on a show in front of his family and if i'm not mistaken sean i think rocky lombardi did grow up a big iowa fan it's not that iowa didn't offer him but there's just a better opportunity uh, up north for him so I think there's gonna be a lot of motivation for Rocky to come back home and and really and really put on a show and after last week's performance I mean he's a guy who can't pop off for 300 yards and, and three or four touchdowns on you yeah I mean I don't know the whole Rocky Lombardi in terms of growing up an Iowa fan but I know his dad coached in Michigan for a number of years and um, obviously came to Iowa and then I believe coached in Illinois too for a few years um, is now back in Indiana so yeah, I mean, most of their family now lives in West Des Moines and went to Valley. Obviously, Rocky going to Michigan State and then Bo, an offensive lineman, or played quarterback in high school but is now at Army. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely ties to Iowa, and this is a game too. I mean, I think Iowa was recruiting him as a linebacker coming out of high school as well. So, I think maybe – I don't think people take that as a disrespect if a school is not recruiting you at the primary position you play. But I think also you look at that and you're like, oh, like they don't think I can play linebacker or quarterback, but I'm going to go to this Big Ten school and really shine as a quarterback. So I think maybe some of that's there. But, yeah, this would be a really big game for him coming back and coming back to Iowa and playing in front of a bunch of family I think would be a really cool experience. And I think one of the things that describes Rocky well, I mean, he's kind of like oh, who said it, Zach Van Valkenburg, Iowa's defensive lineman, said he's kind of comparable to Peyton Ramsey in that. He's not the fastest guy in the field. He's not like a huge runner, but he has the ability to get outside the pocket and really make those plays with his feet and be able to 
get outside and get those extra yards with his with his feet. And he's not afraid to run over guys either. He's a pretty strong physical dude. Was also a pretty big wrestler in high school. Um, but I think Alan True of 24-7 Sports described it well to me earlier this week in that Lombardi, I mean, he's not always been – he's not really a natural thrower. I mean, he's got a good arm. He's accurate at times. But you look at his mechanics and you're kind of like, okay, like that's a little funky. Like they're a little – they're a little unique in a sense, but he gets the job done. He's able to make plays. He's able to make good reads. He's able to make throw good balls. He's able to really use his arm and use his feet to be to live up to his dual threat quarterback name. And I think what you've seen a lot, what you saw last week against Michigan, where the Michigan secondary was not that good, and Michigan State was able to get past the secondary. Ricky White was a really integral piece in their success, and. Lombardi was able to find those guys downfield. I think he had like 17 completions for 323 yards or something like that. So he was he was getting pretty good yards per per throw. And I don't know if that's going to be the same strategy this week, but I think it's definitely just something that could happen too, especially if they try to have that success. Because, I mean, Michigan State's wide receivers are very, very fast. They have Naylor, who's a pretty good, who's a pretty good guy. Um they have Ricky White, who obviously had the big game last week, and they have Jaden Reed, who I think Iowa fans might remember a little bit. Um, he visited Iowa after transferring from Western Michigan as a freshman. Visited Iowa, liked it a lot, then went to Michigan State and committed a few days later to the Spartans, and he was ineligible last year, but he does a lot of things on the field that kind of make your jaw drop. He's just so fast, really quick out of his cuts, runs his routes really well can make plays in the open field. I saw him work out this summer um, near my house when I went to go see a couple other prospects working out. He was there. And just the way he's able to make those cuts out of his routes and just change direction is really, really remarkable. Um, so he's going to be a guy to look out for as well. So that that Michigan State passing attack, I've talked about a lot. I wrote a couple articles regarding Rocky and that passing, that air attack this week. And I thought that – this could really, really give Iowa some problems. I mean, they don't have the stud receiver like David Bell in Michigan State, but they have a lot of guys that are just fast on the perimeter and can make plays in the slot on the outside and just really, really cause trouble for defenses, especially if they can get behind the secondary and Lombardi can make those throws. Yeah, I think you broke it down pretty well. Like you mentioned, Ricky White, who's Big Ten co-freshman of the week last week, and pro football folks is national true freshman of the week set Michigan State's freshman single game record with 196 yards uh, on eight catches in the win over Michigan. He had catches of 50 yards, 40, 31, and 30 yards. I mean, this is a downfield threat guy, and we know Phil Parker preaches every single day not allowing big plays. Iowa's secondary, again, I think they did pretty well against Northwestern. That's no disrespect to the Wildcats, but Michigan State does have some weapons, and I think Iowa needs to find a way to consistently get in the backfield. Uh, like, like we mentioned, Davion Nixon's been a guy who I think right now is emerging up some draft boards with his big performances. He leads the nation and tackles for loss per game. Granted, it's only been a couple of games, but he really looks like a guy who who's starting to really piece it all together. That, you know, six foot four, 310 pound body, uh, just fast. I mean, he's just relentless. And I think that's something that stuck out to me over the past couple of games. But I think Iowa needs to see an uptick in production. I know Chauncey Golston, I feel like, had a pretty decent game last week. Zach Van Valkenburg's done some really nice things, including a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. 
but they got to be able to put pressure on Lombardi to force him to make some bad decisions because as good as Rocky Lombardi can be, he can put up some some pretty average, below average performances. And I think Iowa getting in the backfield early and often is a big key behind that. I feel like we've said this every single game, Sean, but Iowa's not a heavy blitzing team, but they have to find a way to put pressure on the quarterback because even the best secondary and the best guys in one-on-one coverage, they can only cover someone one-on-one for so long. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100%. So, Sean, I know you got the chance to listen to the press conferences yesterday as well as I did. And, again, I think this is going to be a big key going into this week, and I'm interested to see how much Iowa tries to emphasize it. But Tyler Goodson was asked uh, if he can handle a bigger workload, and I thought he handled it like a seasoned vet. Uh, he was really, uh, I don't want to say politically correct, but he was in a sense. I said, you know, it's up to the coaches. I'll do whatever they say. And then he said, but if they ask me to carry the ball 25, 30 times, uh, I'll do it. If they want me to carry it 12 to 15, I'll do it. Uh, I'll handle as many touches as, as they can give me. I'll do whatever it takes. And I kind of jumbled that, but that was basically uh, what he was saying. And, again, I thought he handled like a seasoned vet. But you could tell – I don't want to say that he was frustrated, but you could tell that he really wants uh, to be a bigger part of the offense, especially running the football. Definitely. I think a guy, with, too, with his skill set, um, you really can't ignore it. I mean, it's you can compare him to Akram Wadley – but I think what Tyler showed against Purdue two weeks ago is that he's not afraid of contact. Like, he's willing to go through guys and get that extra, you know, two to three yards. I think that's something that we really didn't see much of last year is him really going into defenders and really trying to get that extra yardage. And that's huge with the running back because that not only moves you closer to the change, but that fr- that frustrates a defense too because you got guys that still – they have to – you have to get multiple guys to bring you down. And once you keep doing that, that just wears and wears on the defense more. And plus, like, mix that power with his speed and his versatility – or not his versatility, his elusiveness on the outside and how he's able to really be a threat in the passing game at times. Like, that's a dangerous combination. I think that's something you can't ignore. Um, now, I mean, Tyler Linderbaum mentioned it too. Like, that Goodson's play – his plays don't happen unless he gets – the blocking that he needs. And I, that's true. That's definitely true 90% of the time. But I think we saw it on – I think it was a third down, like a third and long. Like Tyler had a – there was a draw to the left, to the weak side. And he like bounced off like two or three defenders, like hit a guy with a spin move and was somehow able to get that first down. Like that play went from a – from a, oh, my gosh, terrible play call to a, okay, like, wow, that was a really impressive play from Goodson there. So, yeah, I think it just can be vital to get him the ball in places that he can really succeed. I think that's the most important thing, um, especially with his success and just getting his confidence going because I know Sargent can can do his thing from time to time and can be a threat. But I think at the end of the day, Goodson is really the difference maker in that offense just with how he's able to bounce off um, opponents and just able to use that speed to get into the, to that second level and really make good reads from there on out. So I think he's a guy you need to get the ball more to. You know, something that's interesting to me, Sean, when I've looked back the first two games, Goodson will break off for a big run. He'll have an okay run after. Then they'll take him out for three or four plays. If they do that with Sargent, Sargent stays in for five or six straight plays. And I guess I don't understand why they would take out Tyler in that sort of instance. 
uh, and, and leave Makai in just because Tyler's more of a home run threat and a guy that can make big plays happen. Uh, and I think he's going to be especially important this week, Sean, not even just the fact that Iowa threw the ball 50 times last week and want to get confidence established in the run game. But we need to talk about this too. Emir Smith-Marset's been suspended this week uh, following an OWI arrest and a couple of very uh, not even questionable, just pretty pretty bad decisions uh, from the senior wide receiver going 74 miles per hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Uh, I was surprised with the one game. But it is consistent with what Kirk has done in the past and the student code of conduct. We don't get into all of that, you know, logistics of that. But, I mean, Iowa's going to need some more guys to step up because give Amir Smith-Marset credit on the field from this aspect, Sean. He showed up last week. He had seven grabs for, I think, 84 yards and makes some big plays happen. Uh, but Tyrone Tracy's got to get, you know, his feet wet this season. Nico Reganey's going to be a guy to look out for. Maybe Brandon Smith pops up a little bit more. Maybe Charlie Jones, who I think has done a really good job in the return game, gets a little bit more active, uh, you know, active presence among the offense. But Iowa and Tyler Goodson, they need him to succeed on Saturday, uh, especially without Emir Smith-Marset. Yeah, Michigan State's defensive line is pretty good too. They have a couple guys across the board. Um, Jacob Panasiak, I think his name is. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. Um, they got him, they got Noquan Brown, who was a four-star on the composite um, back in 2017 or 2016 or 2018. I don't remember the year exactly, but he's an experienced guy. And they got linebackers, too, that can cover a lot of ground. Antoine Simmons is probably one of their better NFL draft prospects along with Brown. He's good in pass coverage, but he's also been better in the run coverage and run stopping. Um, and with the receivers, I mean – Michigan State's got a pretty solid secondary. They're young, but they're pretty talented. Xavier Henderson's the lead guy there in terms of experience. He's probably going to be an all-conference player when it's all said and done this year. They got Shakur Brown, who's been a solid safety. Um, they got a few. Trey Person's been good at safety as well. I mean, Shakur Brown's the nickelback, actually. Um, so, like, the cash position for Michigan State. So, yeah, I mean, they they got a bunch of good athletes on that defense. Um, there's no – there's no doubt about that. Uh, their run defense, I think they're allowing 3.4 yards per carry um, on the ground this year, which I believe is higher than Iowa's average, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look real quick. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You're right around there too. I mean, well, no, Iowa. I was averaging actually 4.61 yards per carry, mm -hmm. um, which is surprising to me. I thought it'd be a little lower, but I guess the Purdue game, you got to play, you got to have that into effect. And they didn't run the ball against Northwestern either. <laughs> right, 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 right. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting matchup to see how this all kind of goes down because I think that Michigan State defense, while they're pretty young at some pockets, I think their defensive line is pretty deep. They got a few guys that can come in and make an impact. I think their linebackers are solid, but their safeties, man, like those guys know how to get downhill and hit. They're pretty impressive in that regard. They have a couple interceptions this year. Um, they got a solid defense all around. It's going to be a really tough test. I mean, Amir Smith-Marset definitely would have made things a lot easier on Iowa had he been eligible, but 
that's not the case. So I think it'll be – I think it'll be definitely – that's probably going to be my matchup to watch. I mean, obviously – the Iowa defense going up the Michigan State offense will be notable, but I think you got to pay attention to that to that other matchup. Definitely keep in mind, too, Michigan State's second in the Big Ten, 16th in the country in passing offense, but they are 13th in the Big Ten rushing offense, only 88 uh, yards per game. So, But, again, we've seen, you know, I don't want to say mediocre running teams, but teams that typically don't run the ball well have their way with Iowa. I think of Purdue right off the bat. They've never been – a team that wants to uh, get you on the ground. But Xander Horvath made the difference, uh, as we've talked about a couple weeks ago, in that Purdue game. Uh, but, Sean, before we kind of wrap things up here, let's dive in more specifically the keys. You talked about the matchups you're looking for. Give me two keys for Iowa, whether – give me one on the offense and one on the defense, what you're really looking for. If Iowa does that well, good things will happen for them. Defense, I think it's obvious. Get to the quarterback. I think if you give Lombardi too much time, that's going to allow guys like Ricky White and Jaden Reed to get open and really run their full routes. And those guys are speedsters too, man. Like those guys can leave you in the dust. Like they are very, very fast. So I think that's going to be number one is just pressure in the quarterback. I think Davion Nixon has to have a big game. I think Chauncey Golston's going to have to have a big game off the edge. That's going to be something to note. Um, going back to his home state, he's going to be fired up too, I, I'm betting. Um, so if he can get going, then that, and that whole pass rush, I mean, Zach Ben Balkenberg and Hey, maybe even a Joe Evans here on third down, mm-hmm. he had those two sacks last year against Northwestern. I think this could be a game where maybe he gets one. And I think that would be very beneficial to Iowa's chances. Um, so that's for defense for offense. I'm going to say you got to get the running game going. I know that's kind of a cliche, but I think it's so important Brian Ferentz has talked about it too, that it's so important for them to get the run game going and really to establish that because that's going to open things up on the offensive end. And I think too, we kind of noticed that Pete, Iowa can't rely on Peters to throw the ball 50 times in a game. I know it's unfair to him, but I just think if you get that run going, then you're going to have less, you're going to have less of a burden on Petrus's shoulders and he's going to be more relaxed and not really like fired up or not really like, feel the pressure of having to throw that ball of having to throw the ball that often and if you can get the run game going I think that'll really think open things up on the outside for Iowa yeah so what I'm looking at Sean is a couple things one stop the self-inflicted wounds stop the bad penalties limit those as much as you can I feel like Iowa has just shot themselves in the foot uh time and time again this season you can't win games in the Big Ten especially if you're Iowa how they traditionally play and can't win games when you're doing that. Uh, another thing is protect Stanley and make him feel as comfortable as you can in the pocket. Like I mentioned, I think he made a couple bad decisions leaving the pocket early last week. I think if, if Iowa's offensive line protects him better at the start of the game, that's less likely to happen later on in the game. Let him stay in the pocket, give him time to go through his progressions and not lock onto a receiver. And again, I think he's done the bailout option too much in that lateral passing game just does not work I know Iowa has some speed but even without Amir Smith-Marset in the bunch they, they really just need to be able to find a way to get the ball consistently downfield and I guess this kind of matches in it, it in as well Sean have an offensive identity we talked about this a little bit earlier they need to run the ball they need to figure out what type of offense they want to be because as I've mentioned as you've mentioned they have the talent to be a pretty pretty solid good 
offense uh, in the Big Ten. Not even just add, not like a good Iowa offense. They have potential to be a good offense, but without an identity, that's not going to happen. So they got to be able to find that out. So that's kind of what I'm thinking for the key, Sean. Uh, but let's just dive right into your prediction. What, what do you think happens on Saturday morning? I'm going to go Iowa by three. I'm going to say 20 to 17. I think Iowa lets Michigan State hang around, but I feel like at the end of the day, I'm going to give the Hawkeyes a nod here. I, I don't know why. I'm just feeling like this is time for them to get a win. Yeah, it's a very good prediction. You know, I've gone back and forth about this. I probably still will go back and forth about this. My three keys and my prediction article, I think my prediction might be different than now. I'm going to go 24-20. I'm going to give it to Iowa. And I've said this before. I think this is one of Kirk Ferentz's most important games in his career, uh, just in terms of after everything that's happened this summer. They really just need to they need to pick up a win. I think just as another step to move forward. And I think 0-3 with the expectations that this team had on themselves would just be absolutely devastating. And I think the Heat's going to turn up from the outside if Iowa does drop to 0-3. I'm not even talking about from the fans, but I'm talking national media, college football analysts. I mean, Iowa's going to be a top story for, for all the wrong reasons. So I think this is a huge, huge game for them. I'm going to say 24-20. Petrus throws a pick, but he throws two touchdowns. Tyler Goodson gets over 100 yards uh, on the ground. But we don't spend a lot of time on this. I think it's important to highlight a couple things on the basketball side of things. Sean, you reported this morning that Iowa three-star uh, small forward commit Peyton Sanford will be signing his national letter of intent uh, next Wednesday, did you say? Yeah, next Wednesday. So Iowa will be making that official uh, – and we'll see what happens if, if they try to pursue somebody in the JUCO market or the grad transfer market for next year, maybe get another big man uh, because they didn't take one in the 2021 class. A couple other uh, – I would say – I want to say – I mean, the noteworthy stuff, Iowa has scheduled Northern Illinois. Reportedly, John Rossine, college basketball insider, there's no date on that. But because that's a big deal, that only leaves one other non-conference game available. Right now, Iowa has Gonzaga, North Carolina, Northern Illinois, Iowa State, North Carolina Central, and Southern. They're going to get one more. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk team. I think it's going to be maybe uh, – I don't want to say it'll be a Power 5 team, Sean. What would you, maybe a good mid-major. Maybe they go for a lower-end Power 5 uh, team. Maybe they do go another cupcake route because they have North Carolina and they have uh, Gonzaga, which, by the way, it, are both official. They're both on the Iowa – basketball official schedule on their website through the athletic department and jeff goodman of watch stadium has reported that this could change but iowa is going to host north carolina central as part of their mte on november 25th which is the first day that college basketball uh can begin but iowa basketball under three weeks away matt norlander as from cbs sports came out today and ranked iowa ninth uh, on his one, you know, ranking every single team in the country as Iowa number nine behind Wisconsin and Illinois in the Big Ten. Cites Iowa's defense needs to improve. And Sean, we'll have plenty of time to talk about uh, Iowa's defense, to say the absolute least. Uh, that's going to be a major talking point, as we've kind of mentioned. Their offense has all the potential in the world, but their defense is where they're going to um, – make their big difference. But Sean's been crushing on the basketball stuff, on all the recruiting stuff at HawkeyeInsider.com. David Eichel, Sean Bach. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at 
David Eichel, D-A-V-I-D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T, at SBOC247, and at Hawkeyes on 24-7, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of 24-7 Sports. Way back on Saturday after Iowa finishes up their game with Michigan State. Until then, we'll see you next time.